Okay, today on the podcast, I have an absolutely fantastic guest, someone that you probably won't expect, a member of the European Parliament, no less, Luke Ming Flanagan. How are you? Good, thanks. Morris, my head is massively swollen after that introduction, but good. Yeah, it was uh, short, short and sweet. <laughs> All right, certainly. Good stuff. Looking forward to the chat. Anyway, that's, yeah. that's Brussels in the background. Uh, I haven't been here much uh, since March of last year, but uh, there's, there's a massive meeting this week on the Common Agricultural Policy. And it's grand doing it via Zoom, but uh, I've discovered uh, over time that uh, the meetings really take place after the meetings in the corridor, and there are no Zoom corridor meetings, so I'm over here for that reason now. Yeah, how did you find working remotely then for the last, we say, year and a half? Um, I found it on a personal level, uh, and I feel guilty about this, but it's the reality. I might as well tell the truth. Uh, my quality of life uh, massively improved. And uh, I suppose that'll tell you that my quality of life now isn't connected to going to big parties anymore or going out <laughs> socialising. My quality of life is uh, affected by uh, how often I get to see my children. And as a result of this awful pandemic, for the first time since 2011, um, I get to see them seven days a week, and that's just absolutely brilliant. Uh, from the point of view of being able to do my job, I'm able to do my job better because I'm not depressed, because I'm not missing my children. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, from the point of view of uh, doing constituency work, I've gone from a situation where people would have been going through all my emails for me and sifting out stuff and finding out what was important and mm -hmm. I would one-on-one -on -one deal with the most important issues. Now I nearly answer all the emails myself. Not because uh, I don't think the people who work for me are, are, aren't capable of it, it's just I actually have the time now because I'm not on an aeroplane all the time. I'm not constantly in a queue. I'm not, uh, I'm basically, I function uh, an awful lot better. So uh, for me, I think this is, it's actually a great way to do the job. Now, as I've said originally, uh, it's important. There are times when you need to be in the same room as someone. And yeah. there are times where, well, at all times, where it's easier interrupt at a meeting where you're going, I'm going to make this point whether you like it or not than it is to do that in a Zoom meeting. Uh, because they can switch off your mic at a committee, but I've allowed enough voice so they get to hear me anyway. So from that point of view, that you'd miss it. But it, to me, once a month over here and doing the rest on Zoom would probably be the best way to do the job. Zero yeah. carbon footprint from the point of view of flying on a plane all the time. I now, believe it or not, I go to work on a scooter, not a powered one, but a push scooter. And <laughs> uh, from the point of view of yourself, who's a taxpayer, and from the point of view of everyone you know, um, last year uh, it cost me, it cost the state basically, 72,000 euros less to keep me as an MEP. Because every time an MEP sets foot in the European Parliament, they give MEPs 307 euros. And uh, that's wrong, let's be honest about it. And uh, mm -hmm. I can still do my job without it. I don't get it now that I don't travel. So all around, it's, it's better this way. And uh, I don't end up living in a bubble as well, which I was starting to do. 
I mean, what do politicians talk about? They talk about things that they see impacting on people. I was starting to see what was impacting on people as, when you think that fix the footpaths in Brussels, people keep breaking their necks. So yeah. the fact that I'm in Castle all the time now and in Roscommon all the time means that I'm way more in tune. It's a better way to do the job, if I could put it in a nutshell. Yeah. And what exactly is your role over there? Um, my Initially, I would say I ran on the basis that I wanted to agitate and raise issues and highlight them uh, without ever thinking that it would lead to the ultimate change that I was looking for. But I'd have to say, since I became a, an MEP, um, uh, I discovered that not only can my role be an agitator, I can also be a legislator, which I couldn't be in the doll because you could propose to the government in the doll an absolutely perfect scheme that would make us all billionaires and infinitely happy. Obviously, you wouldn't be able to find such a scheme, but let's say you did. If yeah. you propose that in the doll, en masse, they'd vote against it because it's a non-thinking parliament as far as I can see. It's go with the flow, oppose anything new. Whereas, and I have problems with the European Parliament, whereas I have discovered that if you come up with a good idea, there are times when they do actually listen to you. And now my role is as a legislator as well. So not only highlighting what's going on, the potential for a European army, the fact that CAP, Common Agricultural Policy Money, is going to ranchers as opposed to small farmers and into local villages. Um, uh, I, now, um, I, I am now in a position to actually change where the money goes. And uh, there's a lot reported about me, and there has been over the years. And I find it very interesting that my biggest success by a country mile in politics came in the last four weeks. And uh, I wouldn't damn you for not hearing about it. In fact, I'd be worried about you if you heard about it. You'd be nearly yeah. too much of an attack. But in the last four weeks, an amendment that I put in to the Common Agricultural Policy nearly two years ago has weaved its way through and created a situation where the farmers on the smallest amount of money will now end up getting at least a hundred million euros more throughout the lifetime of this cap. And I have succeeded in backing the Minister for Agriculture in Ireland into a corner where that is the minimum that he can do. And it could be a half a billion. And that to me, I'm absolutely over the moon with that. And another yeah, thing is well, one of the basis for paying farmers money is that uh, basically that they are eligible and what qualifies for them is written in a particular paragraph. I succeeded in getting agroforestry mentioned in eligible hectare. And what that will mean is that instead of farmers in the run-up to discovering to, to it being decided how much of a grant they get, they won't be chopping down the trees on their land or digging up bushes because actually now it's not a sin anymore. So from that point of view, my role as a legislator is actually very, very real. So 
and uh, I have to say I'm uh, I'm pleasantly surprised. Yeah, and what do you think um, in this country with the the way the pandemic was has been handled and. I, I'm joined, I'm only back from Belfast today. I was up in Belfast last night because um, I went up there to see a, a wrestling show. We've a lot of talented Irish wrestlers, believe it or not, in this island. But I, currently I, they're I, not I, allowed to do shows in the Republic. So they had to do one in Belfast. That's that's where I was last night. Okay. And uh, it was a different scene to where we are. But um, what I think of what the government has done is they have from time to time like a parent trying to please their child who wants to eat the cake too early, have taken the cake out of the oven and left it half raw in front of people and then people go put it back in again. And yeah. rather than saying, this is what we're doing because we believe it's right, what they do is they jump here, they jump there, and in the end, they've ended up with no real policy. There were neither zero COVID or were they the other end of the scale where they, um, uh, I suppose the other end of the scale is going for herd immunity, Boris yeah. Johnson style. They were yeah. nothing. At the beginning of the pandemic, they had an opportunity which they missed. And that opportunity was to act quickly, to, to discourage or to stop. And they've proved that they can, they can stop people from going to Cheltenham and to stop people traveling at that time and yeah. to try and do something about it then and to actually, whatever about the North, but to attempt as best as possible a zero COVID policy. But they didn't do that. And all along the way, they've kept falling between two stools. And I think I get the urge to be out there and everything to get back to normal, but mm -hmm. If we do it before we can do it, and I think because of the way they've worked, they've delayed how quickly we can do this. Because of that, um, the whole, basically the whole, the whole thing is in a mess. And they've lost the confidence of people now. And if they want another lockdown, I don't think people would comply with it. But uh, to me, I suppose the biggest problem I'd have with the whole thing was the mess that the European Union made with the whole vaccine and the rollout yeah. of the vaccine. And the fact that uh, they didn't do it quicker and they haven't done it quicker, because if they had done it quicker, we'd be a long, a long way more on the road to normal than we are now. But uh, uh, it's tough on people. It's far tougher on most people than it is on me. And yeah. I don't mean this in a bad way. I, I don't really have that life anymore. So I haven't lost anything in that sense. I haven't lost anything financially. If I was younger and I wasn't able to go out and I wasn't able to do all those things I did when I was younger, it would drive me crazy. It really would. And I might have a different opinion on it, but I think we've just got to stick with it. We've got to roll out uh, the vaccine as quick as possible. We've got, got to give it to the younger age groups as quick, as quick as possible, because the longer we delay, the more mutations we have of this and the more problems we have down the line. And also, we need to tackle this at a world level because it's one thing the Western world getting everyone vaccinated. That is not going to solve our problem. As I've said, you're going to end up with the variants and it is the equivalent of having pissing and non-pissing sections in a swimming pool. You're <laughs> deluding yourself. 
We're all in the one pool. Just because you're in Ireland, no more than if you're in a swimming pool in the non-pissing section, you are totally delusional to think it isn't going to come in your direction anyway. So really, the, the overall plan has to be to stick with being very, very careful, Ro try and roll out the vaccine as fast as is humanly possible. I tell you, if it was widgets that were making a big profit, every one of us would have one now on the planet. And we need yeah. to do that all over the world, starting with the most vulnerable and bringing it down till this goes away. Because uh, uh, it's only going to get worse if we don't. And it's never going to go away. You know, you don't have to do things. You've, you've basically got to go for it on this one. And the government yeah. are half doing everything. One way, one minute, and another way the next. They seem to be making it up as they go along. That's the general consensus of the public, really. Yeah, well, like you could say at the beginning, well, in fairness, uh, it would be like saying to someone who invented something that they were making it up as they went along. Well, sure they did. They were inventing it. It hadn't yeah. happened before. But like at this stage, it's been well invented. We know what it is. We know what it does. We know how to restrict it. And still, it is a total and utter mess. And the idea that uh, ending lockdown too early is good for the economy is rubbish because it won't be good for the economy because we'll be back where we were originally again. And like people seem to forget. Some people say, well, like, you know, how many people die of heart attacks? How many people die of leukemia? Are we all hiding from each other because of that? Now, obviously, one is a contagious disease. The, 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 the other isn't. But what a lot of people who make that argument forget is, if this gets bad again, then those people who have leukemia won't be able to get treatment. Those people who get heart attacks, there won't be room for them in intensive care. So we, tough and all as it is, and it is tough, and uh, we've just got to stick with this until we solve it. But we've got to be consistent and we're not being consistent and not being consistent at the moment with the public we deal with. It's fairly easy to find out if someone isn't being consistent with you. And then you question everything. And then you start questioning things and maybe coming up with theories that are a little daft. Because sure, if the government are doing something that I found a hole in that's completely and utterly daft, Maybe this daft idea might be true as well. So they're creating, they're creating plenty of space for crazies to go around saying this is true because I was proved right on the last thing. We'll talk about a bit more uh, kind of positive memories from you. Like the yes. first time I seen you was um, on the Vincent Brown show. And I think uh, I'm, not, I'm not mad into politics. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but my dad, my dad would be big into politics and he'd always say, Oh, Ming is on tonight and we'd watch it, you know. But the thing I found interesting about when Vincent had you on was he was, uh, he'd always try to get the better of everyone, but you kind of had his number in that regard, I think. Yeah, I had uh, in, in many senses, but uh, he, uh, when he wanted to have his number on you, um, uh, basically he had. And uh, I went on his show one night. It's probably the one thing I shouldn't talk about, so that's why I should talk about it. I went on his show one night and I knew I was walking in front of a bus. I even planned the route to walk in front of the bus because yeah. I knew it was the only way that I was going to deal with uh, the bullshit that I put out there. 
and let's be honest, a lie I told on the penalty points. And yeah. in that, I went in, I knew what was going to happen, and the bus hit me. And after the program, I, uh, I thought to myself, you know what? People deserve better than me. And I said to him afterwards that, uh, do you know what? I think I'll just throw my hands up and I'll resign my seat. And uh, he basically told me in no uncertain terms, you're not doing that. Yeah. And he said, people would forget about this. And they have. And you know what? It's a flaw. Maybe we, sh we shouldn't forget about things like this because we probably have a better country if we weren't so forgiving to politicians. But he, uh, he convinced me not to, and, uh, and I have to say, he, he's an inspiration and he's badly missed. And you could yeah. do with him here now during the pandemic. And you could say th uh, that's me trying to have a go at other journalists, but you know, it's, it's, a, bit like, it's a bit like saying that uh, uh, Gary Bannister, who scored 28 goals for uh, QPR one season, I'm a big fan of QPR, which would be like Brilliant. saying you were dissing him by praising Messi. Well, you're not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, everything's relative, and you know he, he's really missed. But I enjoyed going on his show, and I never went onto it without a sleepless night beforehand. The later he told me about it, the better, because it ruined my day every single time. Even though I was keen to go on it, but I knew that if my it didn't get me P's and my Q's right, he'd uh, he'd, he'd run you over basically. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, that was uh, it. I, I, I have to say, I, I, I listen. I really do. So when the lights went down after all those shows, he was cool. Oh yeah, he was. Oh no, totally, totally, and utterly uh, a, a great man to talk to one on one. I have to say, and uh, and I talked to him, and I'll be honest with you, I'm starstruck when I'm talking to him because, like, I've been following this man for, I don't know. I'm 49. I've been following politics since I was 12. Like I've been following them for nearly 40 years. So um, uh, I'm only human. And when you meet people like that, you go, wow. And even more wow when he's telling you, don't resign. You know? Yeah. He needed, he needed you for his TV ratings, me. Well, he did not. He, neither of us were done any harm by it. It was a symbiotic yeah. relationship. Yeah. Uh, before that, then, I seen the documentary that uh, is on YouTube. I think we're already involved in making that one. Um, I think it was pretty much offered to RT for free and they wouldn't show it. And oh, right. So that's why it went on YouTube. And it, it, they have never shown it. Ever, ever shown it, which, whatever. They, that's, that's, that's their choice. But um, uh, a man called Mike Casey uh, contacted me after I was on Liveline, done by Marion Finucan. Uh, from um, uh, a telephone box in Ballyfermot at Senior College where I was doing a broadcasting course at the time. And yeah. after the interview, I got a call off the guy who subsequently made, he made Dole Aaron originally and he won a couple of awards for it and then he took it further and he made uh, The Life of Crimes of Citizen Ming. So it's brilliant to have a record of it. And uh, I think the one tale that, uh, that can be taken out of it is that persistence is probably the most important thing you can have in life. Above scale, above talent, above anything. If you stick with something, um, you'd be surprised how far you get. But uh, it is it's brilliant, brilliant to have it there and just to look back at uh, 
the head I used to have on me as opposed to now. And uh, uh, it reminds you you're getting old. And uh, it reminds me also, and I'm, I'm a different person now, completely. Um, it reminds me of how open I was in front of a camera and dealing with the media. I'm not like that now. I've watched a few of what you've done, so that's why I'm on here today. Uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're straight as a die, like you're honest. Uh, but, oh, yeah. Uh, I, if someone asked me now, can I follow you around with a camera? Um, uh, I'd, I'd be more likely to say you can follow me around with a shotgun with a dodgy trigger on it than you're following me around <laughs> with a camera. So, and, and how uh, long were you recording that for? Pardon? How long were you recording that documentary for? How many years? Well, well, initially it was for uh, the 1997 um, election, general election campaign in Galway West. And there was a documentary made, as I said, Joel Aaron, because it was on the dole at the time. But yeah. uh, he expanded it to make, he applied for funding and got funding to, to take it further. And he followed me. I ran in the European election, ran in the 2002 um, uh, general election. And uh, basically in 2001, he was around for National Legalized Cannabis Day. And then uh, basically that, that, was, uh, that was pretty much it until I got elected at the council elections, etc. But for how many years is that? About five years, six years. He made other documentaries in between. So anytime anything was coming up or if I was planning anything, I'd just give this person a bell and uh, they'd be around, you know? Yeah. I think if anyone hasn't seen the documentary, it's well worth a look. It's on YouTube. I'll, I'll link it in this video. Okay. Thank you. No problem. Uh, so in that video, like, there was obviously a lot to do with cannabis and arrests and things like that. How do you see the law over here at the moment? Are we still regressive, do you think? Well, we're just totally and utterly in denial. Uh, you could say we were regressive uh, 20 years ago when there were no examples of how successful uh, it would be to legalise cannabis and how much safer it would be and how much safer children would be. But they know all this now and uh, they are just living in total and utter denial. The public are miles ahead of them. And on medical cannabis, sure, it's game over. Vera Toomey, one individual changed that on her own. With the help of Gino Kenny, with the help of a few other people, all right, and fair dues, and a brilliant person, Gino Kenny. But Vera Toomey changed it on that one. But And we will, slowly but surely, it's still consultant-led, uh, uh, unlike Germany, where you can get your doctor to prescribe it. It's still restrictive enough in the types you can get, but there was a breakthrough today uh, for people like Vera Toomey who had to pay up front for the better can and subsequently get the money back. She's now getting funded for that. So we are going in the right direction. And on the recreational, uh, in the recreational area, Gino Kenny has a bill very, very similar to what I had um, uh, uh, in a lottery uh, to be debated and discussed and voted on in the Dáil. So we're hoping that will happen this year. I'd be shocked if it passed, but uh, yeah. we're in a better place to have a debate on it. So we're not where we should be, but uh, the world, we will follow the world. And it's a pity that we will be the puppy dog that follows. And it's coming to a stage in the United States of America where it will end up legal at a, on a federal level. And it's coming to the stage where whatever the modern day friends is, 
whatever it is, yeah. where the equivalent of friends, there's going to be people sitting down rolling up spliffs and they're going to be smoking. And five series later, they're not heroin addicts and they're still smoking <laughs> cannabis. And yeah. uh, there's, they're selling weed in uh, central parks. We're just going to change. And there is, a, there is a, an interesting comparison. We had the same ban on sex in this country, basically. It was evil. It's going to kill you. It's going to destroy people. It's going to ruin the world if you enjoy having sex. And bit by bit, through the silver screen, it came in to our towns and then through the tellies into our living room. And yeah. the silk stockings that were not sold here and were sent over in the post from the United States of America, the women started wearing them. And yeah. bit by bit, only in the last few years, condoms were illegal when I was in college and I'm not a hundred. Bit by bit, it's changing. And the same as we have decriminalized the act of having sexual intercourse and we have legalized it on so many levels, we will do the same thing. But I wish we were leaders. We should be leaders and we should be an example to the world that doing the right thing is the right thing, regardless of the consequences. But uh, where we are now is it will become legal in Ireland and it will become legal because, well, you know what? We'll, we'll be the pariah and we'll have no choice but to do it. In fact, it may eventually come from the European Union where they may force us to do it. Because I tell you, they forced us to do a few bad things over the years, like paying for debt. It'll be nice yeah. to see forces to do the right thing down the line. I hope that, that wouldn't be a bad thing to force us to do, really. Yeah, I hope, I hope we do it by choice. Because, uh, I mean, the arguments are so strong. And the arguments in favour of criminalising and making people sick through criminality and destroying over 100,000 people's lives in Ireland now. There are over 100,000 people with a criminal record in Ireland for possession of cannabis. That's an approximate figure because the state can't actually tell you. And that's just a dire thing to happen to 100,000 people. Yeah, wasn't there a guy, wasn't there a guy a few weeks ago that got uh, brought to court? He had four euros worth of weed, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know what? I, the one thing I would like to see, you know, this idea that, oh, well, you know, like, uh, the law isn't that hard on it, you know, they, uh, they'll most likely let you off. That is, that's actually worse to me than a zero tolerance approach. Because if you have a situation, whether the Gardaí on a whim can decide, because they know your mammy and daddy, that your life will not be destroyed or it will be destroyed. You are giving massive power to people there. And you're giving mm. massive power to people that... We've seen down through the years who are massively corrupt, unfortunately. Not all, not the majority, but enough. And there's no safeguard there. So the idea that, you know, well, well, that's unusual that the guy got caught with four euros worth and he ended up in court. That's only because you've basically got to bow your head, bow your head and say, yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir. Don't do anything bad to me, sir. But that shouldn't be the way. I'd actually prefer a situation in the morning if it became mandatory that we all had to have blood tests tomorrow. 
And you know what? There'll be so many people that come up positive, it'll be game over. So I'm actually <laughs> all on, I'm all on for zero tolerance because actually this sort of middle ground is only a, is only a way of letting this torturous law go on for longer. So um, uh, come out now in the morning and test us all and put half a million of us in jail. See how that works. <laughs> So you can still, because I remember one of the last interviews I seen you, you said you will no longer smoke cannabis in the Republic of Ireland. Now you're in Brussels, but it's allowed there, isn't it? Well, if um, you would want to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's basically for personal use. Uh, there's no problem with it. Uh, in my previous apartment, uh, I grew four plants on my balcony. Um, my neighbour most noisy neighbour ever who used to have insane parties at the weekend and keep us all awake, grand a couple yeah. of weekends, decided to ring the police on me because I was growing cannabis on the balcony. They couldn't get any, he took pictures of them and he sent them uh, to the Belgian police. He couldn't get my landlord because my landlord was in Italy and uh, he got the agent, and the agent was in a bit of a panic about it. So I got a call then from the landlord, who was eventually got through to, and he says, there's a bit of a problem. Um, uh, the, uh, there was, do you grow cannabis? I says, I do. I do grow cannabis. I said, I understood that I was allowed to grow my own supply. And he said, um, yes, but the neighbor has complained about it. And um, I'd like to meet you and talk to you about it. So my landlord came from Italy. Three days later, I met him and he sat down with me. You know, the first thing he said was, he said, I would really, really like to apologize to you. He said, it's so unfair that your neighbor interfered in your private matters. And he said, the police have told him to go away. Brilliant. And that they're not going to do anything about it and to stop wasting their time. Happy days. <laughs> so um, it works here. Um, it's still the capital of Europe. It hasn't turned into a hellhole. And uh, people are no longer having their lives destroyed by the law because they smoke or use cannabis. And by the way, um, uh, uh, here's a safety message. Don't smoke cannabis. Don't smoke anything. <laughs> if you're going to use it, because it's way better. Uh, uh, we'll talk about one of the... I put up a TikTok video the other day, and I said, oh, Ming's coming on the podcast, so I used a clip of the glorified piss. That, uh, that fiasco. It got about 20,000 views, and a lot of positive comments were coming in for you about that. Do you want to tell us the, how that came about? and what the situation is with the water in that area now? Well, uh, as of about six months later, you could drink the water. So okay. there's, there's a saying, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And um, the situation was that there was cryptosporidium in our water. And uh, my wife uh, had an emergency cesarean. And uh, when she came home from hospital, she had to wash herself with bottled water. Uh, my, at the time, my, what age was Katie at the time? At the time, my nine-year-old daughter had never, ever drank water out of a tap, except for when she was in Brussels. And when yeah. I filled the water out of the tap, 
She had the same look on her face as if I'd given her a glass of Fanta out of a tap, because it was that fantastical for her, the day we arrived in Brussels, basically. And uh, basically, uh, the something had to be done about it. Uh, we had a situation where they were going to be charging people again for water, not just out of your tax, but paying for it uh, up front. And I thought to myself, you know what, I mean, it's bad enough I can't drink the water you're pumping into my house. It's even worse that it could kill my wife if she washes herself in it, because cryptosporidium is very, very dangerous. Like, it's bad enough that that's happening. And it's bad enough that I, as a taxpayer, had to pay for that. But now you're going to charge me again. So I thought to myself, if I buy something dodgy in, in a shop, and I did home economic, social, and scientific for the leave insert, yeah. And I knew about the Purchase of Goods Act. It says a lot about our TDs when they learn about the legislation from doing home economics. But I thought yeah. to myself, there's a Sale of Goods Act there. I remember using it as a teenager to get me money back in the shop. And I said to myself, sure, if you sell someone a faulty good and it doesn't work, you get your money back. So I decided yeah. I'd make the point that, well, you know, you're going to make me pay up front for this water. Well, it's faulty. So when you get me money back, under the miss, do I get my money back under under that law? And I had a little jar of it, and I said to myself, I'm going to walk across the doll. And Fergus O'Dowd was there. I was kind of hoping Phil Hogan would be there, but he wasn't there on, on the day. And there's a very crisp noise when it land, lands on the desk. Yeah. And I just walked out of the chamber. And I went into the canteen. It's kind of interesting what happened after that. Went into the canteen. And about two minutes later, Fergus O'Dowd uh, came into the canteen and he was laughing. And he said to me, he says, all I was worried about was you were going to throw it across the door at me. <laughs> and then we both looked up at the TV that's in the canteen, which has the doll on it. And Sean Barrett, the Can Carla, as opposed to the last Can Carla, was going bananas over uh, what I had done and he said it was the most disgraceful thing he'd ever seen in his life and <laughs> look at, if he, he obviously hasn't gone to that, many parties well if he hadn't done that I don't think any interest would have been taken in it and from there it went viral and and to be quite honest uh, uh, I mentioned the penalty points earlier uh, it probably saved my political career let's be yeah. honest in fact not probably it did yeah, strange. It's story. a strange world when that saves your political career. Demand more of your politicians is the, is the moral <laughs> of the story. Would you ever consider running again in Ireland? Uh, the last time, actually the time before last that I visited the Dáil, the last time I visited the Dáil uh, was for the micro protest, micro protest in Donegal. But the time before that that I visited the Dáil, um, I went in there for the, uh, what was, there was some debate on and I wanted to hear what was going on. So I went into it. And when I left there, I have to say, I had no desire ever. And it's an honour to be a legislator and it's an honour to be elected. But I have zero desire ever to go back there. Because the main feeling I got in there was that it was a bloody fashion parade. And really, that was one of the most important things to the people that I met in the corridor when I left the chamber and between there and getting out into the car park. 
to me, it was, it was like being at the Galway races with people swanning around going, look at me, haven't I great? And yeah, yeah it's no harm to be confident and to like yourself. Uh, but I have to say, that's the only thing I didn't get. And there are brilliant people in there. There's some phenomenal people in the Shannon, brilliant people in the Dáil, better than we ever, ever had, bar a handful in the past. Uh, but the main feeling that I got was uh, many of them were there for the personal buzz and nothing else. And I don't get that quite so much in the European Parliament. And another thing that made me not want to go back there is uh, I never really got treated with much respect in there. Uh, I did. So I, I was going to mention, actually, Luke, uh, just about they were making a big deal about what you and Mick Wallace were wearing, for example. Yes, yeah. That doesn't happen in the European Parliament. In fact, uh, the, uh, the Indo or someone from the Indo, apparently, or some Irish newspaper rang the European Parliament uh, to look for a quote for them on the fact that I was wearing a T-shirt. Well, they didn't get a quote because I heard back from the people in the Parliament because they rang me and they said what they said to them was, it's warm. Why wouldn't you wear a T-shirt? You know. You know, it's uh, like their obsession with the wrong thing in Dáil Éireann. And I have to say, I don't know why, how it ever became fashionable to wear a noose, but whatever, everyone to their own. Yeah. Before, before we wrap up, we're going to touch on the difference between the laws in Brussels and the laws in Ireland. You said you have a good story surrounded, or was that the one you told me earlier? Yeah, that's the one. Basically, you know, the attitude, it's way more open here. Like you go down certain streets where whatever there's 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 bars uh, out onto the streets and stuff, and uh, you you anymore you don't comment, you because you get boring. Oh, that smell, that smell, that smell. Yeah, it's it's ubiquitous, and uh, obviously I, I go to the Netherlands and uh, it works. Uh, so like my experience over here is uh, it's it's different to Ireland, you know. Um, uh, there's a better, there's a better attitude to it, and as I've said already, you know, some people might say, ah, but you know, I mean, they don't come down that on hard on, that hard on you. Well, until you're the unlucky one, and you are then in a situation where you can't travel. If you've a row with your partner, you lose your kids. Yeah. If you want to become a teacher, you're not allowed. If you want to become a doctor and you fill in your application form, you're not allowed. In fact. If you wanted to become a bin man and you filled in the application form correctly and you told them the total honest truth that you had a criminal record, you wouldn't get the job. So um, uh, that, that's at, at, at the end of the day, uh, I prefer the attitude over here. But still, it hasn't gone far enough. Uh, we, we need to see it legalised. We need to see it, to see it taken out of criminals' hands. And we need the money put into our tax. And that's what we need to do. And we need to, to spend that money on educating people about the dangers of uh, abusing any substance, any substance, whether it's sugar, whether it's Guinness, whether it's cannabis, <laughs> whether it's social media, whatever gives you a buzz, whether it's running to the point that you're taking, you're taking painkillers to keep you going. Okay, well, look, uh, that, that's pretty much it, uh, uh, the story. So it's, it's been brilliant talking to you. And uh, I look forward to seeing it going out there and see what think, people think about it. 
yeah, I'm going to release it now on Friday, so it'll be a good one. Yeah, and brilliant. I now I've had a, a member of the European Parliament on the podcast. All right, good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. I had Tommy Chong on the other day. You which? I had Tommy Chong on the other day. Did you? Yeah. Which is, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm in some company then. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if I got Tommy Chong and Ming on at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> that would be an interesting combination. All right, how did yeah. it go? How was good? Yeah, he's really sound. I can't. He's 84. I can't believe it. Yeah, yeah, you would be, yeah, but sure. Look at the more, the more people, you know, you, you see people on telly and you see, you see people out there and you think they're this or that, but look, like they've all got to wipe their bottoms at the end of the day. They've all got to eat and drink and uh, really, generally, people are just people anyway, you know. It, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's to everyone else they're well known. To yourself, you're not. You're still yourself, you know. So, yeah. And uh, it'd probably be a good way to stay too because otherwise you turn into an arsehole, so. <laughs> right, you enjoy your evening in lovely Brussels. I will indeed. I've got to go in now and meet three MEPs and convince them to do something. All right, talk to you. Okay. Thanks Cheerio. very much, Luke. Great stuff, Morris. A pleasure. Cheerio. Thanks.